Just want to send a quick thank you to listener Stargate for leaving a five-star review of the show. They said, amazing podcasts for marketers, the perfect bite-sized pieces of marketing tips and tricks for the modern marketer. I listen to these in the morning for better insight into more modern marketing practices, SEO, growth hacking, and a lot more amazing content. Well, thanks so much for listening to the show, Stargate, and uh, I hope you're really enjoying this second season. And if you are listening to this right now, why not leave a review and please help grow the show with me by subscribing or reviewing The Daily Marketer. And if you leave a written review on Apple Podcasts, it'll automatically enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card raffle, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's easy. It takes 10 seconds. I mean it. And it means a lot for us. All right. I'm done. Thanks and enjoy. Dudes and dudettes, this is The Daily Marketer. Actually, this is part two to our conversation with Gabe Gervalis, the Director of Sales and Marketing at Avocalize, a software as a service that provides embedded digital ad technology to CRMs, portals, and marketplaces. Please enjoy. I want to touch on one thing. So, you, so why is it important to have search volume? I, I, it's a little counterintuitive. Like, for example... If if uh, let's pretend it, it is a it's a brand new product that no one's searching. It's um, I don't know chocolate with aphrodisiacs in it or something like large amount of them. Like we'll call them clam chocolates. Uh, you know if if there's a, a low search volume for it, what, aren't I going to be pumped? I'm going to go oh cool. I'm going to be the one to rank for it because I'm going to start. I'm the one creating this product. It's the blue ocean, or yeah. or is the thinking different on that? Well, I mean, if it depends on the goal. So like using it all, all depends on the goal and where it fits in like the strategy mm-hmm. in, in general. So like mm-hmm. if you're if you're a chocolate company and you want to rank for clam flavored chocolate uh, and there's nobody searching for it and you get all excited about it and you make a bunch of clam flavored chocolate and boom, you're number one on Google. You got no market. Nobody, there's no, there's one, no market for it. No one's looking for it. You're number one on Google, right? Yeah. Uh, so now you have to go build a brand through advertising and right. okay. whatever to promote. You, you, you have know, to build awareness now, right? Yeah. Okay. And you get the search volume up. And so like, there you go. Um, but I, I feel like it's knowing where things um, fit into the overall plan and strategy so like in my b2b days my one of my last roles was in the the employee wellness market mm-hmm. and they wanted to use uh we couldn't use the word quote unquote employee wellness we had to use the word human performance because all the content had to be generated underneath human performance but the but the challenge was that like the brands who are ranking for employee wellness like their domain authority where like their overall weight and power in Google's mind, which is like the measurement was strong, comes out was very strong, and ours was very weak. Mm-hmm. So it would, it would take a lot of effort to rank number one, to, to be number one on our head terms or mm-hmm. our like the, the main terms. So the strategy we had to create was the challenge was all right. How do I use human performance in all my content? How and gang 
you know, just traffic and eyeballs to the website. And so we had to create a blog strategy, uh, blog content, uh, interviewing people within the enterprise to, to be the thought leaders and the providers of content. And we had to spin the word human resource in with a bunch of these terms that had Human low, resource or human performance? Thank you. Uh, human performance. I'm a little dyslexic. Probably not good for an SEO guy. <laughs> uh, we had to spin these terms into to use human performance. So like part of it, the service was biometric readings and, and how employees, if you give employees biometric readings, you get to know their health stat. So like the, the tattle would be adapt a human performance strategy using employee biometric readings. And I knew like that word biometric readings or biometric screenings for employees was low, low, like mid search volume, but low competition. So I had to like create a, a human performance based title to make the executives happy and use that in there, but spin it with this, this uh, area of our uh, offering with biometric screenings and, and, and readings to get the, the employee and the employee wellness in there. So do you really have to be a conductor if you're an SEO practice? Yeah, you really do. Yeah. I mean, if you're an SEO, if you're a content generator in an enterprise, you have to get the buy-in of executive leadership. And so executive leadership will have brand messaging and confirm messaging frameworks and words that more oftentimes than not don't pollinate and and with Mm -hmm. the, the, the main SEO terms, but they, expect the same type of results because they hear SEO, right? So there's a lot of stakeholders within enterprises uh, to, to, to bring them on board when creating content calendars and, and executing SEO practices. Yeah. So you got to bring them in the meeting room and go, I know you have so many meetings and I know you might not think this is important, but this is really, really important, right? Yeah, yeah. Unless no, they expect- totally get it. Sometimes they do. Sometimes, Sometimes they, they do. don't. Yeah, they, they don't. The, the give and take, I believe, when talking to executive management in a BDB play uh, is always to understand usually the, the, the end goals, the revenue goals. So based on my experience in the in B2B world, in pretty much any world, it's all, it's all relative to leads, sales pipeline, closed one deals, uh, and to do that. So like, in the demand world, demand generation world, we start with like a demand generation funnel and it doesn't matter where the leads come from. We know we need 10,000 leads. We know we need X amount of marketing qualified leads, mm-hmm. how many opportunities and how many closed ones. And so when you're communicating with the executive leadership and having these arguments and they're spending having you spend a lot of time in unproductive SEO, then you can speak their language by showing them the demand funnel and the data that supports the argument, mm-hmm. right? And say, say those things. And I feel like that's the best way to, to, to communicate that. Hey, what you're asking is going to be really expensive. It's going to take a long time and you're not going to achieve your goals. Yeah. Here's the data to show it. Here's the objective exactly. reasoning, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned that there were really two categories, you know, fundamentals of SEO, that being keyword research and inbound links. We talked about keyword research. Inbound links, you give the example, say I'm a, I'm a donor to University of Washington. And then we're able to have our intern call and say, hey, can you please hyperlink our logo 
Cool. Thank you. For someone who has a startup and they don't have much money to be able to, 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 to be a donor, what are, what are techniques or strategies or maybe fundamentals that they should follow in order to do uh, inbound link building? I think for me, uh, if I were to advise like a new startup person, you know, I would uh, I'd have to define the size of the startup and the scale that they want to achieve. I think mm-hmm. I'll, I think a lot of different factors would come into play. Um, I currently work for a startup, so I would let me let me use that use case. So we we have 14 employees, we have three million in funding, uh, and we don't have a CRM system hooked up right mm-hmm. the second right. So like we have a CRM, but it's not like deployed. Uh, for uh, and I'm running, you know, link building. So I would say making a, making a list of um, uh, bloggers on the topics of uh, of the product that I'm offering, and so I'm going out and identifying where they are, and and, and mainly I would I try to identify um, associations. And then outside of associations, you have your quote-unquote trade media, which is like Adweek and uh, martech.com, you know, your more structured publications. Mm-hmm. And then you have like the Forbes of the world, and you're not necessarily pitching a Forbes writer, you're pitching mm-hmm. a Forbes contributor. And you're looking for articles of these. Like Forbes has this really interesting program. They call it like the advisory council of search engines. Mm-hmm. And you pay like three grand a year and they allow you to publish four articles on their website underneath mm-hmm. the subject matter. And these people are quote unquote contributors. So if you find them uh, and reach out to them, you have to give them like a pitch, like to review your product. Uh, or if you're in the B2B world, like what your thought leadership is and how an industry is going to be a, a influenced by something or what mm-hmm. your predictions are, then you can get cited in those uh, one I saw, I can't remember the name, but back when I was running my first startup, New Audience Media, my uncle forwarded me a link to um, a New York Times article. And this New York Times article was on Facebook's changing data privacy policies. And the whole article was about the industry trend on Facebook data privacy and how it's affecting everything and user privacy concerns. I mean, it must have been 2,000 words on this. And at the very end, the last 500 words was a description on how that was being, like how an agency was using customer data in Facebook advertising. Mm-hmm. And, they, and New York Times published it, right? But the whole, but that, that one link from New York Times generated so much inbound demand that when I called that place to get a demo of their technology, mm-hmm. I was put on a two month wait. Wow. From the New York Times. They even responded, hey, are you calling about the New York Times article? And they figured out how big I was. And so like that's kind of like a holy grail thing. Yeah. You know, in your in your in your link. So you like having like one of those irons in the fire of pitching the industry, how the industry is related and the changes and everything, and then not featuring the brand as like the key focus point of the article, which is really gonna piss off the CEO. But as an afterthought, right. Oh, an afterthought, complete afterthought. Because the New York Times you know the the big outlets they don't care about your company they care about the bigger the the bigger global trends and how they're affected yeah 
Right. But then, then there's other styles of, of blogging out there. And you see them on like the social media today.coms. It's like 10 tips to reduce your Facebook ads. Right. The listicles. Like, yeah. You know, so there's lots of different, lots of different avenues to do that. But that's what I would do is I would, I would try to find my, my top 20 contributors and publications, maybe top 50 contacts, and then uh, get in touch with them. Hmm. You know, and and just even follow them on Twitter. Say, hey, this is what I'm doing. I want to, I want to stay in touch with you. And then, mm-hmm. as you launch case studies and as you have ideas for blog content, you reach out to them and see if you can get published. So that's a very white hat way of doing it. And it's, it's a lot of grunt work, but uh, you know, it pays off the long term. White hat's the right way. Mm, maybe. Maybe. Maybe so. Maybe uh, so. Hey, I want to be respectful of your time. I I, I know I. We, I haven't asked you about SEM. Maybe I'll just summarize that for everyone uh, and call me out for blatantly lying if I tell anything <laughs> wrong. Uh, SEM is, is is paid marketing. Is uh, by paying for certain keywords. You know, you pay a certain price for some keywords are more expensive than others. Chocolate is probably a really expensive keyword. So if you want to have your ad, that being a text set at the top of a search for chocolate, uh, you would just, you know, you'd pay to rank for those keywords and you actually have control over the title tag. That's the, the, the main headline at the top of your text ad, of the description, of the links underneath that, and even some of the, what are they called? The extension links, the little sublinks there too. And and that's essentially is, is, is SEM is paid advertising uh, that is, it seems like on the surface, maybe much less complicated than everything we've just talked about the past half hour about SEO. Would you agree? <laughs> is it less complicated? I less don't know, complicated. man. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the world, that I feel like, I mean, yes, the overall, the overall uh, overview is, is, is correct. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it'd be less complicated. Uh, you know, I think I would generally yes you can log into an account you can buy keyword exposure uh you can do this but like i I feel that the age of the individual like google adwords practitioner is coming to a close uh Hmm. where the age of data-driven mass scale learning programs are going to far outrank what an individual is going to be able to do Hmm. So, like the, can you give an example of of that that ladder? Yeah, the the ability to like organize keyword groups, identify. I'm getting. I know I'm getting in the leads a little bit. We've been keeping it. A little weeds bit are good. No, weeds are good. Uh, but giving um, being able to identify keyword groups, run analysis across large keyword sets, make changes to um, ad programs that scale is um, needs automation behind it to, mm-hmm. to some degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like if I'm if I am somebody like myself or even yourself with your day to day job, like working for a, a large company who has a paid media department that employs mm-hmm. experts to think this way, I think there's going to be a need for that. When I when I think about my local restaurant business or a small business which represents the majority of people out there. Like if I'm a start, if I'm a startup, like I 
a low-funded startup, I should not be uh, pecking away at a keyboard trying to become a Google AdWords professional on my on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to link up with a either an agency or like a large non-competitive partner who has the resources, the time, the experience, the expertise, and the knowledge to like get that get that program underway. Mm-hmm. So like Google Ads, I feel has gone through like a lot of improvement over the last four years to like make it button click simple for mm-hmm. small businesses to come in and, and, you know, just connect a few things. And, and right. Get that, get that they going. have, it's very self-serve. Yeah. Yeah. But even self-serve, like, but not even being able to like optim, they don't even have the option to optimize for negative keywords because Google kind of takes care of that. Yeah. Right. You're right. So, yeah. You bring up a really good point. Uh, Facebook ads does the same thing. It's the, the, they take control back, say, we got it. You know, like you don't need to decide which campaigns to, to send money to every day, you know, one being better than the other. We're going to do that for you with campaign budget optimization, right? Or, you know, I know you think this ad does really well. Don't worry, we're going to tell you if it, if it does better. <laughs> you know, like uh, you, you don't need to upload your own audiences. We got some great interest audiences. Just just click on them, you know, like people who love bikes and brews, you know, like just yeah. click that one. We got it. You know, you don't get to upload anything. Uh, we, I think we see more and more of that. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the way things are going. Is that, and it's going to be, especially and I'm putting on my small business hat, like small businesses don't have the data needed to compete in the Facebook environment. So like, Facebook's mm-hmm. interest offerings are their quote unquote core offerings where you can click on beers and brews. And I want to target people who ride bicycles and, and drink, you know, brewery beers. Um, that, that's still a very, very, very macro, macro level. And like the core audience targeting, I believe, is like more to like grow and grow an audience, right? But yeah. like once you get into your, your core audience, then you get into lookalike modeling. And you get into mm-hmm. CRM segments and these right. other aspects of it, which uh, which will expand. And so, like you, my my current venture, uh, Evocalize, like we, our mission is to connect non-competitive partners of local businesses with local businesses, so they can share their data with a local provider. So, like if you think about DoorDash, mm-hmm. DoorDash is a marketplace that creates. Um, restaurant food delivery and they know in seattle when people are searching for teriyaki for lunch so if a teriyaki store owner could click a button and access that audience to serve a facebook ad uh again i think that's like the future of this small business um, Mm -hmm. marketing play that's out there cool yeah i'm glad you mentioned a vocalize so this leads me to a point that I didn't realize until you actually said it, which is I feel like before 2000, before the sexiness and appeal of startups and of the internet being more um, omnipresent, people thought small businesses didn't really have a chance in in the world of business. They're like, oh, you know, good luck mom and pop. It was the whole Walmart versus small business concept. And then I, I really do feel like over the past 20 years, that's been flipped on its head. And uh, we, we've seen a lot of industries like that too, like independent artists um, versus record labels, right? Like that, that, that's, that's another great one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
in some way, it feels like it's it's shifting back to, okay, well, now there are the big players and, you know, the internet's hard to rank for, for example, or, you know, we, we, don't, have the, we don't have the paid ad budget as a small business or as a startup to do it on our own. Uh, it sounds like a Vocalize can re-empowers uh, a small business or you mentioned as someone who is non-competitive, right? Uh, to, to, to kind of get back in the, get back in the race. Yeah, exactly. So we're not, we're not, so some data that we pulled as I was creating our messaging says that, uh, I'm running off the top of my head. So there's in 2018, there's $151 million spent in local advertising. Uh, of that 121 million, 67% was digital. Uh, excuse me, 67% was traditional, which was weird. Majority, only 35, yeah. yeah, and only 35% was digital, which is crazy because like eMarketer states that uh, digital in 2019 has overtaken, has overtaken uh, uh, traditional. traditional media. Yeah. And so what this means to us is that like the, the battle of the national brands and the big, the big players have all yeah. shifted budgets or shifting the majority of their budgets to digital. But in local, it's easier for a real estate agent to send out postcards and totally. mailers than right. run sophisticated ad campaigns. And that like leads us to like the business proposition that we vocalize. So we believe that by partnering with CRMs, marketplaces, and portals, and multi-location brands, we can unlock their data and then give them a self-service advertising interface uh, to distribute to their customers where they can button click, button click, and launch sophisticated programs. Hmm. So one of our clients, for example, is Realtor.com, and they have who knows how many millions of people who are searching on their website for real estate. So they have this like high intent signal of right. people in Seattle yeah. literally searching for homes. Yeah. And so we use that data to create custom audiences in Facebook. And all a real estate agent has to do is come in, click a button, and boom, their ad is live. But that's the, the idea of like partnering with a non-competitive partner to, have, uh, to give local businesses the chance to compete in digital. Because if they don't, then they're, like, they're back pecking at a keyboard using Facebook core audiences to say, I want to target people who like real estate in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And, and Facebook defines that as somebody who might have liked Zillow once. Mm-hmm. You know, or like might yeah. have visited, and it's not it's like not the most effective time. way to do it, right? It's not the most effective time to do it, but extracting custom audience data from these third-party players and giving them the small businesses the way to activate those across Google and Facebook. Um, you know, we've seen some very amazing results on, on both sides of the coin. It's very cool. A vocalize is its own pioneer in the space. I, I, I mean, it. I haven't heard of anyone else really doing this, what, what you're describing. No, no, it's, it's, we, we are a pioneer. Um, there, you know, we can't take all the credit because it's, I feel like it's kind of what Amazon does, right? Amazon took mm-hmm. all the data from their e-commerce store. They put a wrapper around it, right? And then they allow their merchants to advertise using their intent data. Right. Why would an e-commerce site do that? Well, they're, they're now, now advertising, their advertising revenue is threatening the Google Facebook duopoly, right? Like right. They're really up there. Etsy did something similar uh, in house. Who did Etsy? Yeah, Etsy. Uh, Etsy just launched a new model 
uh, advertising model. That's, Being able uh, to promote for your goods that you're list, that you've listed on Etsy. No, they've gone they've gone beyond that. So outside of really, Etsy, with, yeah, outside of Etsy, it's like it's intriguing. So like they have created a cost per acquisition model. Ooh, and they included yeah. it in the fabric of their of their legal agreements with their merchants. So if mm. your store has more than ten thousand dollars in sales, it's automatic opt in. Hmm. So they run these returns. Only in America. Only in America. That's <laughs> yeah. No, I so, mean, le- legally, that's, that's, that's probably only legally allowed in America. That's an interesting, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Like, what is it like in Germany and these other places? Oh, it, it's, it's by default opt out. So, so that's, they're not allowed to do that, to do something like this. I'm going to have to tweet yeah. and be like, hey, what's going on? But, right. You should change that. You know, yeah. uh, but sorry, I, I, so so I got in the way of the explanation. There's an opt-in for their merchants if they spend if they spend or have value of more than ten thousand dollars, right? So so if there's, if there's more than ten thousand dollars, they're auto, they're automatically included. And what happens is like if Etsy if Etsy advertising, they're off-site advertising on Facebook and Google. If their retargeting ads lead to a converted sale, then you are charged twelve percent of the sale order. And so the merchants Whoa. are now seeing it's these a forced purposes. affiliate relationship. So ex- exactly, if yeah. you're under ten thousand uh, dollars, then it's um, I don't want to say it's a forced affiliate because I mean that's a different that's a different model. But like, but uh, uh, if you're um, like forced royalties, somewhere. yeah. If you're under ten thousand, then you have a choice to opt in, and if you mm. opt into that, then it's a higher it's fifteen percent of your of your sale total. But what do they do for you in return? Well, all their so when users come to their website and uh, leave, and they and they search your products, your products will follow them around for three or four days. Got it. So it's re- you know, remarketed have, to them. It's remarketing to them by default. But, it, but it. instead of Etsy paying the cost for that type of performance marketing, they're, they're the passing cost. it down to their merchants, and they're I making see. a margin off of it. Hmm. Just like just like Amazon is doing, right? Yeah. But they're yeah. but they're but they're using dynamic ad creative to like they don't need ad creative approval processes because they have the landing page, they have the price, they have the product right. images, they have the title, they have the description. They just have the templated placements. Right. Yeah. They have the templated and they, they run the template placements at scale across their entire book of business. They learn from all that, they put it right back in the machine. Yeah. And uh and then your end uh, Etsy, you know, farmer's market, jewelry maker who just does these things, they don't even have to worry about going into an ad builder and building an ad anymore. It's all done all. for you. It's all done for them. It's automated. Yeah. It's all machine driven on the back end. God, that's incredible. It's, yeah, it's pretty insane. So, like, so there, yeah. there are like a few business models that I've seen out there. Um, yeah. But, but I would say that, you know, Evocalize has caught on to this and, um, and as being a pioneer to enable CRMs and portals and marketplaces to create these new revenue streams by giving their users a lot of value. That's really great. So I, I know we're at time. I uh, just got rapid fire questions for you. So right. we'll do this and then i ask you one last thing uh, in regards to how can I help you and where can we find you? So we'll go to the rapid, rapid fire questions. So, First thing that comes to mind, right? Oh no, I'm scared. All right, greatest marketer ever. 
Oh, um, well, I go back to the TED Talk that changed the way I approach marketing, which is uh, Simon Sedek, uh, How Great Leaders Inspire Marketing, and the philosophy of selling with the why, not the what. Marketing newsletter you read a lot? Uh, Adweek. Marketing blog you read a lot? And I'd say Adweek, but I'd also throw moz.com in there. Okay. Marketing Twitter influencer you follow a lot? Uh, man, I'm not, I'm not on Twitter too much. I hate, to, I hate to say it, but I don't I don't follow a tweet stream that I'm like, ah, this guy's the best on Twitter. You gotta follow him. <laughs> oh good. Me, uh, Gabe Gavellis. No, just kidding. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh best marketing book of all time. And it can be a book indirectly teaches you about marketing. All right. I like uh uh Good to Great by Jim Collins. And it's not a marketing book, it's a business philosophy book. And I I feel like those business philosophies everybody needs to know, even marketers. What marketing advice do you give that very few follow? Focus on your users. Focus on your users. Amen. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't follow that. It's not, Gabe, it's, not about, it's not about you. It's about the user. Make them happy, not yourself. Yeah. And how many times do people forget to even describe the user and build the persona of them? Right. Amazon's principle is one of their leadership principles, customer focus. Jeff Bezos has a chair for the customer in every big meeting, so we don't forget about them. But it's very easy to forget about them. So, I think I think Howard Schultz does that too at Starbucks, or he did. That was, that was the rumor. Very cool. So, Gabe, uh, I like to ask also how can how can I help in anything you're doing, whether that's at, with a vocalize or personally anything I can do to help. Man, I would say you're you're spreading the gospel via the podcast, and having me on here has been a blessing. So thank you very much for that. Uh, but throughout our time together, and me knowing you as a friend, like being able to geek out, I, I feel bad because you're the host of this, and you're you're probably a bigger geek on uh, a lot of the stuff than I am. So maybe maybe we should flip the mic. Let me interview you once, and we'll get you out in the contestant chair, and and I'll be the interviewer. That sounds great. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun. That does sound fun. Yeah. And then finally, where can we find you or any asks of the audience? And this can be for you personally or for Vocalize. Yeah. I would say, uh, you know, for me personally, Twitter handle at G Gavellis, G E R V E L I S. It's my last name. Always like some love. And uh, for you, Vocalize, I would say, uh, you know, just come to our website and check us out. Always like the site traffic. Is that a vocalize.com? A vocalize.com. E-V-O-C-A-L-I-Z-E.com. You got it. Beautiful. Gabe, thanks so much for coming on the show. All right. Thanks, Jacob. Have a good okay. day. Take care, man. Bye-bye. Yo. Thanks for listening to that two-part conversation with our guest. I really do hope I'm creating some value for you and making the journey of entrepreneurship a little less noisy, a little less lonely, and a little less stressful. Before you go, I want to ask you for one small favor. If you liked what you heard, please help grow the show with me by either one, reviewing on Apple Podcasts, or two, subscribing to the show. To sweeten the deal, we're going to do something a little special. If you review the show on Apple Podcasts, I'm going to enter you into a $50 Amazon gift card contest, which we're going to announce the winner of every other week. It's simple. Review the show on Apple Podcasts. It's that little purple podcast app on your phone. Go to the show, scroll to the bottom, and hit review. 10 seconds, 10 words, very easy, and be entered into a raffle for a $50 Amazon gift card, which we're going to announce the winner of every other Thursday. It's free money. You got to love that. And it's easy to do. If you wouldn't mind doing that, that would be amazing. Thanks and take care and good night.